All right, so we're going to jump into this. Um, I'm sitting down and I'm at a table partially to help indicate that this is a little bit different this morning. There's a, there's a little bit of a teaching element, but I really want us to almost have a little bit of a devotional time together this morning. And so last week we began talking about hearing God's word, hearing his voice through his word, and how one of the main roles of scripture is not just for us to know the information that's in God's word, but to know the God of the Bible and to have our own personal relationship with him. And spending time in God's word even helps us learn how to hear his voice in our day-to-day life when we're interacting with family and friends and coworkers and living our life. We, we can recognize more and more God's presence because we've gotten accustomed to what his voice sounds like. And so we talked about three key things we can do last week, looking at the story of Samuel when he was a young boy and God was calling him. And so we talked about positioning ourselves being, being in God's presence, choosing to be in a place where we can hear him speak. Um, then we talked about listening, actually being willing to listen and hear that he's talking to us. And then finally, we talked about the importance of responding. And so through the lens of those kind of three principles, we're going to approach now an example of what a morning devotional time could look like. Now, this is not the three-step process to how everyone should have a devotional time with the Lord. There's a variety of ways that we can spend time with Him. I just want to give you some some ideas and some tools of how we can approach the Lord in in personal time with Him. Um, I also want to say, next week, we will talk a little bit more about some um, some deeper digging that we can do where we may start to look at context of what we're reading in Scripture and understanding history and how to look up what words mean, um, how to study certain books of the Bible or characters in the Bible. So we'll get into more of that next Sunday. This is really more about, God, I'm sitting down with you. It's it's my time in the morning with you. It's my time in the evening with you. And Lord, I want to be real with you. God, I want you to speak into my life, and I'm just getting in your presence. That's kind of what we're talking about this morning. So... Are we ready to dive in? Yeah? Okay, well, we're going to start with a verse that we talked about briefly last week. Um, The verse is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, um, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I want to talk a little bit. I want to start by talking about positioning. And one of the first things we can do when we're positioning ourselves to spend time with the Lord is thinking about our attitude and our posture. And I don't just mean our sitting posture, although that can have an influence. Um, you know, if I lay down on my bed with my Bible at 10 o'clock at night to read, there's a, there's a good chance I'll be asleep in five minutes. Um, so posture can have some impact, but I really mean the posture of our heart. And so one of the postures we take is being expectant. It's expecting that God will show up. That may not mean that I have this huge rush of emotion. It may not mean that I hear this this loud, verbal, specific voice while I'm spending time with the Lord. But it means I'm, I'm believing that I'm doing more than just a habit or routine. I'm expecting that God wants to be with me and he wants to talk with me. And so Hebrews tells us there, listen, it takes faith to trust that God is there and that he is going to respond if I'm seeking after him. It takes faith. And so I'll I'll tell you, just taking the time to sit down and be with him is is a step of faith. 
You know, I believe throughout my day that there's a basic foundation of faith in my life at work. I'm believing that Jesus is real and that he's alive and that he's with me. But then there are moments in time where I would almost call him, I'm like activating my faith, where I need to apply it to a very specific situation that's going on. And so the act of moving into God's presence is a step of faith towards him to say, God, I believe you're real and I believe you're here and I believe you want to talk to me. And so I'm actually going to sit down and do this and expect that you'll show up. So having an an expectant attitude. Um, The second posture that I think is important to to take is found in James chapter 4, this principle we see throughout Scripture, but we're going to highlight verses 6 through 10 here in the book of James. He writes and says, But he gives more grace. Therefore God says, or he says, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is an attitude or a position that we take. Therefore submit to God. Just the act of saying, God, I'm going to spend time with you submitting to him. It's much easier for me to just do the things that casually come to mind. I'm going to just check out. I had a long, busy day. I can give myself permission to just veg in front of the TV. No big deal. And my my natural instinct and inclination is just to kind of pick and choose things I would do. But it's an act of submission to say, God, I'm going to humble myself and come be in your presence. Um, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Has anybody ever experienced maybe a moment or a season where you're like, maybe it's even a New Year's resolution time where I'm going to sit down, I'm going to really buckle down and start being more consistent in my time with the Lord. Have you ever noticed how quickly there's very legitimate excuses that will rip you off from that time? I mean, I'll get like sick and then I feel miserable in the morning. So it's really easy to go, I'm just going to stay in bed. Or, I mean, I don't know. There's a laundry list of things that come up. Or just distractions. You know, I'm going to quiet my time and settle this time, and then something interrupts it. But we can make a decision to say, I'm not going to allow those distractions to rip me off. I'm going to set the time aside, and I'm going to lean in. And so I submit to God. I resist the devil. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I love that. Now, here's an important part of submission right here. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. That sounds like a really strange way to maybe start our time with the Lord. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Because if we'll humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. Often, what I've noticed in my own life, the, the primary thing that rips me off from just sitting down and spending time with God is guilt. And there's primarily two things I feel guilty about. One is a known sin or struggle, something I blew, I blew it in that area, maybe even that very morning or the day before, and I've just been, it's been eaten at me. And my, my tendency is to pull away from him because I feel guilty. The, the other kind of guilt that I feel is guilt that maybe it's been a while since I did this. And so I'm feeling bad that maybe I missed whatever, three or four days after I'd said I'm going to do it every day. And I feel guilty about that. And so instead of it being an opportunity to just spend that time with him, I'm beating myself up because I already didn't Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And is it just me? Has anybody else been in that position? Those things are like barriers for me. But God is saying, listen, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You come with this sense of humility. You acknowledge and recognize where you've been double-minded or sinful. Great, I'll cleanse you. I'll purify you. you got a fresh start. And if you'll humble, myself, you'll humble yourself in my presence, I'll lift you up. 
And so the very thing that would keep me from him is the thing he's saying, start right there. Start right there. Come to me as you are. And so very often, my time with the Lord actually just starts with some simple confession. God, I'm sorry. I repent of this thing I'm struggling with. Forgive me. Lord, I want to be in your presence. I want to be made clean. Thank you that you promise me that you do that, that you do forgive. Lord, I'm sorry if I've gone a few days not being in your presence. I'm excited to be with you now. And so I'm looking forward to this time. I was actually talking to a friend this week about this. And I think understanding and approaching God as our father is a huge key to getting this principle of spending time with him. If spending time with him is an obligation to a God who expects it of me versus a father who's just excited to spend time with me, that changes everything. You know, I don't walk around mad at my kids all the time with all these heavy expectations on them. If they're busy and they're going about their day and we're going a bunch of different directions, I'm not thinking, man, they've really avoided me the last two or three days. When we finally get to sit down and spend some time together, I'm just excited. We get to be together. We're face to face. I would hate it if they were avoiding me because they thought I was mad at them because we hadn't had a deep conversation in a couple of days. I would hate that. I want us to be good. Here we are. We're together. And so if, if we can understand like our heavenly father, he's way better dads and moms than we are. He's way better than that. He loves us. He's thrilled to spend that time with us. And so if we come expecting and humble, he's there and he'll meet us. Um, and then finally, I would just encourage you having an attitude of invitation. Um, when I sit down to open up God's word and, and hear from him, I'm saying, God, would you come and talk to me? I'm not just reading words on a page. I'm inviting you to come and speak to me. So expectation, humility, invitation. Y'all got that? We tracking? Okay, secondly, a couple of practical things. Um, consider the location and the time when you meet with God. Um, I think it's worthwhile to have a consistent place and a consistent time. There's value in that. Um, we, there's examples of this throughout Scripture, but in the book of Daniel, you know, we see Daniel who now this story picks up years into Babylonian captivity. Um, he's on like the second or third ruler since he's been there. He's really there kind of in slavery, but he keeps getting promoted to positions of power because he's an honorable man. And we get towards the end of the story and leading up to where he gets thrown in the lion's den, these guys are trying to catch him and they know the way they can catch him because they've identified something consistent in his life. If we make it illegal for him to worship God, we'll catch him because we know he does it every day. In fact, we know where he does it and when he does it and what he's doing. And so in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, Daniel understands the consequences of what he's about to do and in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He just had a habit of spending time with the Lord. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I'll tell you what, I don't ever want to be arrested, but I'd love to be arrested because somebody knew for a fact that they knew where they could find me at a certain time of day that I'd be in God's presence. That'd be, that'd be an awesome thing to be caught doing. Amen? I love this. And so I think it's, it's important to consider being consistent with both your location and the time. 
Now, I also think there's value in special occasions. I mean, man, when the weather turns good and I'm driving by a park, it's like, I need to get my Bible and spend some time over there and look out at the lake or get, you know, get out in the, just in the trees and, and in nature. I love that. So there's nothing wrong with, it's actually wonderful to have like those special occasions and special places. But there's just something to be said for that consistency. Um, I wasn't really thinking about him being here this morning, so I don't mean to call him out or embarrass him, but um, one of my, my earliest memories as a kid, and it was probably rare for me because I slept in all the time, every chance I could, but if I ever did get up early, I was going to find my dad in the living room in his chair with his Bible open. I was going to find my dad in God's presence, and that just got to be a thing where I just knew I can count on seeing him getting it, and that, like, that stuck in my mind. I mean, even years getting older, being someone who wasn't pursuing the Lord like that, I never lost that memory and just that consistency of my dad was going to get up early enough before the day and spend time with Jesus. And it, was in, it, was, it spoke something to me that you were consistent in that. Dad. I love that. Um, you were pursuing God. So um, it can be done. We can do it. All right. And then the second thing I want to encourage you with is time. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we're encouraged that um, we delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's talking about the kind of person that pursues God instead of the things of the world. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But it talks about meditating on his law day and night. And, you know, there's, there's value in starting your day in the word, um, but I just want to encourage you, find a time that works for you. If you are just not the morning person, don't beat yourself up that you don't get up at 5 a.m. and study the word. Don't let that rip you off from doing it. If you get a lunch hour and your best bet is to sneak away at your lunch hour and get in the word, do it. If you're a mom with kids and there's nap time, do it. If you're a college student with crazy different hours during the day, and you've got like an afternoon time where you may go study at a coffee shop, great, carve out some of that time to be with the Lord. If the best time for you is before bed, I mean, maybe be careful not to, you know, be in a spot where you're going to fall asleep, but do that. And honestly, all joking aside, I mean, is it the worst thing in the world if you fall asleep reading the Bible and praying? (laughs) That's a pretty great way to go to sleep every night. That might impact your dreams, you know? So, Don't feel guilty like it just has to be the morning. The scripture talks about morning and evening, being up in the night watches um, throughout the day. The point is he's available and present. Find something consistent that works for you and plug into that time. Okay, so now I want to talk about, um, we talked about attitude and posture, location and time. Now I want to talk about tools and then we'll put this into practice a little bit this morning. Um, Some basic tools to consider. This one is your primary tool. It's the Word of God. Open it up. Start here. Listen to Him speak through His Word. I would also encourage you, have a journal. Um, And that journal is just for you. Not that you may never share it with a spouse or kids or whatever, but that is for you and the Lord. It can be for, for prayer requests. It could be things the Lord's convicting you of, things He's encouraging you in. Um a theme that's coming up over it, whatever it may be. It's just a place to jot down and take note. I I really think it's powerful for a lot of reasons, but I'll give you two. One thing I've found in my life is I've really grabbed a hold of something if I can communicate it. When I'm able to communicate, put the thoughts into words, something about that act, it, it causes it to really sink down in my heart a little bit more. 
And so in a quiet devotional time, writing out thoughts, you're, you're communicating onto paper what the Lord's speaking or saying to you. It just helps it take root. And then secondly, I mean, those can be a huge source of encouragement to look back on. Um, you may look back on a hard season you were in and you were journaling. And then you may look back and go, wow, look how the Lord was faithful to bring me through that. You might even find that you've jotted down things you're praying for and then we kind of forget we've been praying for something and the prayer gets answered and we didn't even realize God answered the prayer I was praying. And by looking back at that stuff, we can see ways that he's faithful and operating in our lives. So I'd encourage you to have a journal. So Bible and journal. And then I I will say it can be very helpful to have a devotional of some kind, a daily devotional. I'll give you a couple of ideas if you're looking for a place to start. Oswald Chambers has just that classic work, My Utmost for His Highest. It's great. It's a day-to-day thing. Um, E. Stanley Jones has a great book called In Christ. It's got a daily devotional in there. If you're looking for something a little more modern or new, Jesus Calling. Some of you guys might be familiar with Sarah, Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling. Those are great. A couple of things I would encourage you to do if you use a daily devotional. Number one, remember that it's a supplement, not a replacement. It's really important. It's funny how the enemy will do anything he possibly can to keep us from the simplicity of getting in the word of God. And if he can just get me to set this down for a really good book, he'll start there. He's happy to do that. And so it's, it's something that you're adding into your scripture reading. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is remember, like those are great writers who love Jesus and have good stuff to share. They're not writing scripture. They're sharing from their own heart. They're a guide. Scripture is what is inspired by God and I can lean on fully. And so just always read it with a filter and know it's not gospel. Everything they're saying isn't necessarily 100% true, right? I'm even risking it by mentioning three people have written something. You know, you'll probably find something a little off in there. Eat the meat, spit out the bones, but it can be helpful. And especially if a daily devotional time is kind of new for you, a book like that, a devotional book can really help you get started because typically a good devotional book they read a scripture and then they're unpacking what the Lord was speaking to them through that scripture. And it can kind of be a guide to help you see how you might read a scripture and hear God speak to you through that. Does that make sense to you guys? And so if you do see a devotional book mention a scripture, I make a habit of opening my own Bible and turning there myself and reading that verse that they talked about and maybe even some verses around it. And again, it's just stuff that fuels me getting into this book. Um, The last thing I want to mention that I think is really beneficial in our devotional time, um, we're going to do a whole part of this series on these two topics, um, but they all fit together, is worship and prayer. You know, we're talking specifically about God's word right now in this chunk of the series, but praying before you start, really even viewing your time of reading as prayer. God, this is communication between you and I. I didn't pray an opening prayer and then end the conversation. It's ongoing. Um, and if, if it helps you just get in his presence, it might be a good idea to listen to some worship music, sing a little bit, move into his presence, and then open up the word of God. So those are just some things to consider. Okay, so let's put this into practice for about 10 minutes. We'll see how this goes. It's a big group. Never really done this before, so we're going to give it a shot. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 23. I just thought we would pick something kind of familiar to us. And this would be now moving into the listening portion. So up to this point, 
we've positioned and postured ourselves. So if you want to turn to Psalm 23, um, I'm just going to pray a prayer. Um, I'm, I'm, this isn't even like I'm acting it out. I'm really going to invite God to come talk to us right now while we have a little devotional time together. So let's pray, and then we'll go through Psalm 23 together and just invite him to speak. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are present and active, that you speak. We thank you that you're the word made flesh. God, we pray that you'd make this word be real and tangible to us right now. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher, you're our guide. So would you come and highlight this word in our hearts? Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to spend time with you. We believe you're our good father. Um, Lord, we believe all the things we've been talking about this morning. Lord, that if we seek you, we find you, that you reward those who diligently seek you. And so, God, we're believing you'll speak this morning. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. God, if there's anything in the way, God, if there's junk that's been ripping us off, Lord, if there's sin, if there's distraction, we just confess that to you now. We thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us. And now, God, we invite you to come and speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Psalm 23. So I want to encourage you. Let's read through this. And I'm just going to read through it a couple of times. And as best as you can in a room full of people, I know you're not alone. I know there's distractions like toilets flushing, you know. (laughs) Only when you have church at a school do you have a toilet flush in the middle of (laughs) service. We've got distractions, but we're going to give this a shot. And so there's a couple of key questions I kind of try to ask when I'm spending time with the Lord. One is, God, who are you? What is this passage teaching me about who you are in your heart towards me? And so let's just read it through just thinking about that. What does this passage tell me about who God is? So let's read this together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Okay, so let's pause on that for a minute, and I am going to invite you guys to be willing to raise a hand and speak out a little bit this morning. Um, This isn't a big test or anything, but just looking at that, is there anything about who God is that jumps out to you guys this morning? It could be a simple word, a simple phrase. Who, Who is God revealed in this passage? He's doing everything. He's doing everything. He's I love that. Yeah. 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 So what are some words we would even use to describe a God who's doing stuff for us? Okay, well, there actually is the word shepherd, right? So it gives us, it gives us an image even that we can picture. Now, I haven't spent a lot of time around shepherds and sheep, but I have a, a basic understanding of what they do. He's a shepherd. So what does a shepherd do for the sheep? Y'all can shout out. Give me some examples. Okay, he leads them, right? Jurger was reading that. He leads. Protects. What else? Comforts. Comforts. Feeds. 
heal. It's good. I like the part where it says he makes me lie down. <laughs> that, uh, you know, he, he does what's best for the sheep and leads the sheep in the way that's best for them, even if they want to be stubborn. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. He makes me lie down. He's in charge, but it's for my benefit. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. A parent. Yeah, absolutely. There's a very fatherly aspect to what's happening here, for sure. He's consistent even when my circumstances change. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you see the change of circumstances throughout the passage? But he's consistently there, present, providing what's needed. I mean, there's, there's moments, for example, I'm in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't say I'll, he'll keep me away from enemies. It doesn't say that. But it does tell me what he'll do in the midst of me being in the presence of my enemies. It's good. Anything else? Okay, good. All right, now I'm going to read through it again. And this time, let's pay attention to who we are. What does this have to say about who we are as, as his kids or his sheep in this instance, um, and let's get a sense of that. And I realize these are intertwined often, who we are is intertwined with who he is because what he does for us affects who we are. But let's read it through that lens. So Lord, who are we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's this passage saying about who we are, what our position is with him? We're needy. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the very first thing that he says is, he says he's my shepherd. And so it makes everything that was just said about God right. personal. Yes. It personalizes. I don't know if y'all heard that. Because he's my shepherd, all the good stuff we read about who he is, it makes it personal in my life. So he doesn't just protect people. He protects me. He doesn't just shepherd people. He shepherds me. It, it makes it personal. Um, and there's a sense of belonging. Like, you know how good it feels when you just belong to something? Like, you've got those friends where when you just show up and you're with those friends, there's no sense of, of stress. Like, there's some relationships that are a little more casual. And, you know, you kind of got your, your good face on and you're unsure of how, you know, you want to be real with people. But, you know, it's just not the same as those people. You're just, you're yourself and you're comfortable. We belong with him. I love that. We're his. We're needy. We belong to him. What else? We're secure. I mean, we can almost go back and personalize every single thing that we said about him. I'm fed. I'm cared for. I'm protected. I'm secure. I'm at peace. Notice how apart from him, we can very easily be the opposite of all those things. Right? My neediness would cause me to be fearful, hungry, alone, afraid, um, surrounded by my enemies and attacked. On my own, that could be my position. But because he's personal, he meets all those needs. 
It's good. Anything else before we move on? Dale. Oh. You have a tendency to wander subsequently. We'll get lost along the way. Mm -hmm. He's the one that finds us lost in the stream. Yeah. Gotten off the stream. Yeah. It's a great point. It's really interesting that his rod and staff comfort me. Because that rod and staff is mostly about correction. Right? Now, that rod will also fight off wolves or whatever as well. So it's a sign of protection. But it's correction. Get back on track. Get back on course. But even that's a comforting thought. Because when I wander, he's not beating me and kicking me out. He's shepherding me back into where I belong. It's so different than how I view my wandering. I view my wandering. He's angry. I've blown it. You know, he's probably through with me by now. And he's like, no, I'm just ready to bring you back in. It might hurt a little bit, but I'm bringing you back. It's awesome. Sarah, you said something too right about the same time. Yeah. 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 We need those things over and over again. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and it really even goes back to the idea of he makes me lie down. I mean, how about you guys? In this culture and in my own life, I can just get on that hamster wheel. It's like, go, go, go all the time, nonstop. And sometimes he's going, hey, hold on. <laughs> I need to make you lie down because you are finite and you're going to wear yourself out and wear yourself thin. And I want you to rest. And you can rest because you're in my presence. It's good. Okay, so I want to I wrap this by encouraging you to do something that you kind of have to do on your own. There's only so much we can do together as a group. So I think it's important to start right there where we did. God, who are you? Lord, who am I? But then go a layer deeper and really get personal with him and ask him some questions like, God, what are you saying to me right now? All these things are true, but Lord, is there, is there something in particular in this passage that you are speaking to me personally right now? And that's, that's where, man, so, some rubber meets the road moments can, can come. God, what is it you want me to know? is a question you can ask. And Lord, what is it you want me to do? What do you want me to know and what do you want me to do? And so for you, it may be that you're reading through this in the particular phase you're in. You're like, man, I know it says that I will fear no evil, but actually, I've been pretty terrified. I've been very anxious. I've been struggling with fear for the last few days. I woke up this morning with anxiety. And so God, you're trying to speak peace into my life. And so, Lord, I want to receive that from you. You want me to know that I can be at peace because you're present. And so, Lord, that's an area where I can take a specific step of trust that you will bring peace where there's anxiety. Does that make sense? And so as we just dwell on the passage and reflect on who he is and reflect on who we are in him, let him speak into, into your specific life as well. Um, and so then our third, our third kind of thing and the way we're going to wrap this up this morning is talking about our response. And I want to just give you a couple of things to consider for your response to God after you've spent some time with him. Um, I won't go super in depth with these, um, but the, the first thing I would say that actually is an action of response is the idea of meditating or dwelling on what you read. Our response very easily can be, okay, God, that was great. Thank you. We close the book. We go on our way. But take what he's given you and consider it. And often, I may walk away from my time reading where I didn't get that obvious, clear thing that he was trying to say to me. I might even leave with kind of a question mark. Like, God, I don't get this. What is this about? What are you trying to say to me? But if I will take that thought through the day with me and I just kind of let it ruminate back here, 
when I've got a free moment, when I've got some free time, I kind of cast my mind back to that. And I pay attention. It's funny how often something that he started to say, maybe in a morning devotional or your evening time, and you wake up the next day and you go about your day and you go, oh, there's the aha moment. It showed up in this random conversation I had with somebody. Or it showed up in, who knows, any number of unique ways. Maybe he just even speaks it into your heart later in the day. But being willing to to ponder, to meditate on things that he's saying or even things you're unsure about invites him to kind of speak with you throughout the day. And so that is an action, just carrying the thought with us. So ponder it. Um, I would encourage you to, to close in prayer just doing a couple of simple things. Express thankfulness. God, thank you that you were just with me. If you had one of those devotional times that was a little more dry and you didn't necessarily feel like you heard some huge thing from him, well, God, it's an act of faith. I'm still thankful that I spent this time with you this morning. I'm believing that you're going to do something with your word that you spoke into my heart. So thank you. God, you spoke something hard into my life. You corrected a problem. Thank you for highlighting that issue in my life and forgiving me. And so then I moved from thankfulness to asking for help. God, this thing that you showed me, this thing that you're talking to me about, would you help me with that? I don't want to do that on my own. God, I can't correct this sin apart from you. I need your strength and your help to walk in victory. So Lord, would you help me with this? And then finally, our response is to put into practice what we've read. But even in that, we're not alone. I would encourage you, this isn't work that I'm doing for him. It's work I'm doing with him. I can follow and obey because he's with me. My devotional time doesn't end my time with the Lord. Now I go about my day being the faithful servant who needs to do the right thing all the time. No, I'm going about my day. God's present with me. Things he's spoken into my life, I'm carrying them into my day. and I'm going to follow him and see what he says. And just having some of those thoughts and attitudes, it's amazing how much you start to recognize him showing up throughout your day in different relationships and situations that you're in. Um, so that's, a, that's just a little bit of a path for us. Considering the position we put ourselves in, listening to what he'll say, and then choosing to respond to him. And it just cultivates this relationship with God and him speaking through his word. So we are going to close the service with a time of communion together. If Crystal and Alex want to come back up, they're going to prepare. And I want to just read something as we move into this time of, of coming to his table um, You know, we're always remembering when we come to the communion table. I remember a few things. I remember, number one, the night Jesus was betrayed. That's when he implemented this, where he said, hey, this bread, it's not just bread. It represents my body that's about to be broken for you. This cup, this wine, this juice for us this morning, it represents my blood that's shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So I'm, I'm remembering that night. I'm remembering the deeper principle behind that night, which is the work of the cross what Jesus has done for me through his death, burial, and resurrection, I'm also remembering he's coming back for me. The scripture tells us to do this often and to remember him and to remember that he's going to come back and we're going to have that marriage supper of the Lamb where we're with Jesus and we have that cup with him in his kingdom. So I'm reflecting back. I'm remembering my current position because of Jesus and his finished work and I'm looking ahead to that day with him. And so I want to read this to you. I just feel like it ties in with our Psalm 23. You know, Jesus picks up on this theme of being a shepherd, and he, he says, I am the shepherd. And in John chapter 10, I'm just going to read verses, uh, verse 11, but verses 7 through 18 are awesome if you want to go back and read them later. But verse 11, he, he writes and says, 
I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It, it costs him something to be all those things we just described in Psalm 23. It, it costs him his life to be able to do those things for us, but that's what he does. His love goes that far for us. And so let's remember our shepherd together this morning as we partake of communion who laid down his life for us because he loves us.